Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjuris, and I'm really glad you joined me today. I have a very sweet and dear person that I interviewed today, and I'm so very glad that I found this person. Josh Hirsch is my interviewee, and I'll tell you a little bit more about him in just a moment, but I think he really, in his own project and his life and our communication, he really has introduced me to the need to make more space for people like me, queer introverts. I really relate to that identity. Um, I know it's a very nuanced identity, and lots of people are... um, on the spectrum of introversion, but uh, that was a very exciting and interesting um, provocation that he provided through um, through the project that he works on. So we'll get to that in just a moment. The only housekeeping things I have today are that I would really, really love a few more reviews on Apple Podcasts. Um, I love reading them, and so many of you send me very sweet messages about how this podcast is actually resonating for you specifically, and I know some of that is, you know, very personal, but I think some of those messages could really be, um, just could really serve a lot of people if they were um, made public out in the world, and one way of doing that is to publish a review, hopefully a five-star review, and a little note um, endorsing the podcast that can really help us spread the word. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the podcast so far, and it's still going strong. I've been interviewing a lot of interesting people, and I've got some great episodes coming up, so um, thank you for your support. There is a very generous and lovely sponsor for this podcast today, and it is Radical Roots. And Radical Roots is a CBD company run by a, an acupuncturist, in fact, my former acupuncturist, named Chloe Weber and her colleague. And they combine the wisdom of Chinese herbology with very high quality, extremely, extremely well-tested, high quality, full spectrum hemp. And they have five internal formulas and one topical. And they make really beautiful products. And you can go to their website, Radical Roots Herbs. It's Radical Roots with an S, herbs.com, to find out more about them and to also hear about the really touching story about how Chloe ended up coming up with these formulas. She's just really rad, has so much integrity. I use these products, I trust them, and there's a lot of weird CBD stuff out there, I think, Um, and it helps. It helps when it's good quality. Um, It helps when it's made um, by really smart, kind of nerdy people. Um, And so 
you can actually get 20% off um, your order using the code QUEERCBD. So it's Q-U-E-E-R-C-B-D for 20% off. And go to RadicalRootsHerbs2.com to check it out. And thank you, Chloe, and everyone at Radical Roots for supporting this podcast. Um, it means a lot to me. And I think it's cool because a lot of us queer folks, queerly body folks, need support um, in in and for our bodies. And this is one thing that some might resonate for some people um, that can support our bodies trying to navigate this uh, wild, wild world that we live in. So with that being said, I want to... Lastly, encourage you to sign up for my newsletter. If you haven't already, you can just go to livinginthisqueerbody.com. There will be a prompt and you can sign up for my newsletter, which is the best way to find out about um, how you can work with me. You can work with me one-on-one. I do virtual, monthly virtual um, workshops on various topics and some of them are collaborative so we have guests um, coming uh, in the next couple of months so really check out my website and I appreciate you listening. So on to our lovely and sweet guest. Um, Josh Hirsch is an entrepreneur, writer, seeker, and community architect. Over the years he's focused on creating mindful, heart-centered spaces for queer people such as The Thoughtful Gay Man and Queer It, a global community for queer introverts. And this Queer It space thing project has events in the New York City area, but actually all over the country and world. There are meetings and gatherings all over, which is just a really cool thing. Josh believes in the power of belonging and connection as a means to bring healing and a sense of togetherness to queer communities. And I really hope you enjoy this episode with Josh. Thank you so much for being here today. I really thank you. Thank it's, you. It's really fun that you know that we got to meet kind of in person at my uh, the podcast launch because that was a such a kind of like I don't know interesting expression of kind of the heart of what I'm trying to do with this project. So it was very very meaningful that you were there and got to witness that. I really appreciate you coming. Yeah, I love yeah. to see. I felt like uh, uh, all the performances like embodied your podcast in a different way. And so yeah. it was cool to see that, dif- I don't know, different facets of it. Yeah, yeah. That's how it ended up. I'm glad it ended up that way. Yeah, um, <laughs> cool. So I like to begin each each episode with, you know, asking you to reflect on an, a part of your childhood or a time when you were younger and what are the earliest memories you have of kind of messages you got around being in a body or what it meant to have a body? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
I, I guess one of the early ones is like go out and play. <laughs> My parents telling me of, you know, going outside, you know, whether it's during the summer or in the evenings. Uh, I remember, you know, just riding my bike a lot around the neighborhood, playing with friends, using our imagination, and kind of coming home once the sun is going down. So yeah, I spent a lot of time outside and sort of like using my imagination. And so I think I kind of combine those two things, you know, of, of being active and out and about and then, but also being in my head and kind of using that to meld with whatever I was doing physically. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So your parents in some ways are, you know, the, the environment you grew up in definitely encouraged you to be pretty independent in a way and sort mm -hmm. of like, yeah, I can see as, you know, well, the one thing I do know about you is you're a Virgo and that you, yes. and the other thing I know is that you are an introvert. So yeah. I, am, I, and I am also a Virgo introvert. Yeah. And so I can imagine, I guess if I were to imagine myself, you know, being told to go outside and play or encouraged to go outside and play was really when it happened with me it was very helpful but it also a lot of independent time was so great for me as an introvert um, mm -hmm. but it also really kept me like or does still keep me in my head you know what I mean like really it's yeah. a lot of quiet time to kind of be in your head and I wonder how you've sort of navigated that in your maybe in your childhood but also in your yeah. adult life that kind of balance or te those tendencies? Yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, going into junior high, high school, it definitely turned more into anxiety of mm -hmm. being in my head. Uh, it, yeah, it was just more, I think it, it was probably around like middle school, high school when I started I don't know, worrying a lot more about my health and uh, things like that. I didn't really have ailments per se that were going on, but I found WebMD. <laughs> and so I would go down that rabbit trail of, mm. oh, is this what's wrong with me? Is this what's happening? And it, it got a, a lot worse in high school, I think, just... I don't know, I was like editor of the newspaper my senior year and student body president. And I remember having panic, sort of panic dreams at times uh, when I would just not, I would be imagining either schoolwork or things that I needed to get done at work, like as soon as I closed my eyes and that's all I saw and I like couldn't sleep. And so, yeah, there was a lot of anxiety. I was joking with my boyfriend the other day. I was like, I am the most mellow I've ever been in my life right now. <laughs> and, and he was like, oh, really? <laughs> I was like, well, that might be like the Virgo in me, you know, still. But yeah, it was just a very anxiety-inducing time. And I felt my body was not uh, sort of like a safe place to be in a lot of ways because I was afraid, like, what? what could I have, that sort of, sort of thinking. Mm. 
Do you, can you speak if you feel like it a little bit about how that might be related to, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know exactly your trajectory around, you know, understanding your sexuality, but was there something about kind of trying to figure out like what you have or what's wrong or that mm -hmm. feels in any way connected to trying to understand impulses and desires you were experiencing? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's definitely possible. It, mm. I think I, you know, otherwise, why, I don't know, why does like a middle school or high school, I have that much anxiety, you know, I, I just, I guess there are personality types that might be a little more anxious, but um, yeah, it was in, I would say grades or middle school when I first was kind of like, oh, I'm like more attracted to guys, I think. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't really have the words for it. I mean, I knew, like, I guess I knew the term gay in some way, but I always think about a commercial uh, that I saw probably in middle school or high school where it was like, this is a weed to a, like a grade schooler. And it was like a, a, a dandelion. And then it was like, this is weed to like an eighth grader. And it was like weed, you know, like drugs. Um, <laughs> And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I, I felt that's, I think, what I thought about sexuality in a lot of ways is I just didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, I remember one time in middle school, and the dramatization of it is probably different than what happened, but I remember standing, like, in the hallway, and this girl who's in my class, she just, out of nowhere, I don't really know what it was, but she was just like, are you gay? Or she said, like, I don't even know if it was a question. I think it might have been, like, a statement. And I was just, I just remember being, like, uh, like, I sort of, I think, laughed it off. And, like, my friends were around me. And it was just, it was such a, hmm. I didn't know, like, I knew the term, but I didn't really know what that meant. Mm -hmm. um, and is then. That, is that in part because of the environment you were growing up in? Yeah, I mean, probably. I grew up in Topeka, Kansas, you know, which is middle of the country. And, you know, I grew up in a more conservative uh, uh, Christian environment. Mm. So, you know, with thinking about bodies, I mean, I, I don't think I thought, probably consciously thought about this at the time, but just how your body is in one way like a temple and is like holy but then it's also dangerous and like can be a bad thing and you can do bad things with it you know so like that's sort of a like as a kid you're kind of afraid of the your body in a way because of what it could do or what you know it could lead to um yeah. I'm sure that probably caused some anxiety on some level, especially as I was realizing that what I wanted to do with my body or, you know, was probably different than maybe other guys in my class. And mm -hmm. yeah, you know, I'm just listening to you and I'm thinking that is such a, I mean, it probably is a familiar experience for some people who are raised in a particular kind of religious environment, but mm -hmm. you know, that that is for someone who's queer, that's such a kind of confounding setup in a way, like that there's something very um, 
yeah, you said temple, like something sacred about, I don't know in what, in your kind of family belief system or religious belief system, what it was that like, did you have to do something to ensure the sacredness of your body or um, was it more like abstaining from the desire, like the other kind of bad impulses? Um, Yeah. I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's a lot of stuff I haven't, you know, sort of unwound or mm. detangled, untangled uh, until I was an adult. But, you know, just the idea of you're made in God's image, but you're also at your core sinful or like fallen, uh, you know, those sorts of terms. Yeah. So it's kind of like, well, which one? you know, which one is it, you know, and, um, I, I think becoming an adult, you know, more and more, I'm like, no, I think at my core, I am good. You know, I think there is an inherent goodness there, but that, you know, that came years later. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it was, so that was sort of another mixed message of you are made in the image of God, but if you do things that are bad, mm-hmm. then you're jeopardizing yourself. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, I don't remember hearing messages much from the church I actually went to, but I grew up in Topeka where Fred Phelps and his whole family live. If you're familiar with like Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, so they actually picketed at my church a lot. Oh for different reasons. I think like the chief police of Topeka went to our church for a while and you know, they, they, they'll go after anyone. So I remember those signs being outside of our church so that, you know, that was just another thing of like, Oh, why, like, why are these people out here in front of the church? You know, I'm at church being good here with my body and my soul. And this is very confusing. Like, uh, yeah, that's a lot of different messages and you didn't have a way to talk about that with your family, for instance, or anything. No, I, you know, I don't remember. I, I think I remember my parents saying, I don't know if I ever asked who those people were, but there was an underlying belief that they were sort of crazy or, you know, like they were not like good people mm-hmm. uh, for doing what they were doing. Yeah. But there was, yeah, there wasn't ever a conversation mm. that I remember. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess I'm just picturing, I feel like I'm kind of getting like a picture of like younger you. And then um, I just have so many questions about sort of how you've taken, in some ways taken the experiences and messages that you grew up with into what you've created or are creating in your adult life. And particularly sort of the way I came across you is, is through, I guess it was through your Instagram or no, it was through that interview, right? Um, that you, a podcast interview that you did. Um, um yeah. The what, queer spirit. Queer spirit. Yeah. The queer spirit podcast. Shout out to queer spirit podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 
you know, I came, I was really struck with this idea of like combining the notion of queerness and introversion and how you've navigated that. It's something I deeply relate to um, as an introvert and also someone who's been over many years been seeking like aspects of resonance in queer community and finding it, but also finding myself not always knowing how to like feeling kind of on the outside of certain communities um, mm-hmm. for mostly for, you know, kind of this, this reason essentially yeah. is that, that I, yeah, especially I think when I was younger and maybe in my twenties or something it would have been really nice for to have like one of your gatherings that you organize and we'll talk about those, but you know, yeah to just explore what it means to kind of be a little more introspective and quiet and also mm-hmm. be like very out as queer and you know I don't know so I'd, I'd love to hear about how you kind of came into understanding those things about yourself yeah I I don't think I really they it really connected the two of being queer and introverted until I moved to New York to be honest I think it it became such an overwhelming place to live in, in terms of like the stimulation Mm -hmm. that I pretty early on, I went very inward um, into myself that, you know, I've always been sort of like a reflective person and I, I enjoy thinking about the deeper, you know, whether they're like spiritual principles or, you know, other, um, I don't know, the unseen. Uh, I think a lot about those sorts of things. But when I moved here, it it became very physical in that I was just like, wow, this is a really intense place to live. Uh, and I can't, I can't see myself, I can't be as social, like even more social on top of the stimulation that I'm facing just with the city itself. So commuting to and from work, you know, you can go anywhere and, and be very stimulated, uh, quickly. Uh, so I thought a lot about how I don't, like, I don't need more stimulation. I need connection with people. And, and I think that's sort of where a lot of queer it came from is that I was just like, I want to be with queer people. But, like, I'm having a hard time doing that in this city in the different spaces and activities that I've found. Um, Like, can you talk a little bit just maybe for people who are listening to understand or maybe find some resonance in this? Like, what what did you find particularly challenging to navigate socially, like, on top of this kind of, yeah, the daily stimulation of this place? Yeah, I mean... I'm I'm very much a morning person. I'm not a nightlife person. And mm. I think that really kind of like sort of was another layer on top of it. I was like, well, I am like exhausted by 9 p.m. usually and I'm up early. So, you know, the like the queer spaces in the morning, like <laughs> where is that happening? You know, right. that, that's another sort of just rare rarity, mm. I guess. Uh, it's like me 
I lived pretty close to Central Park at the time. So like I would get up early on a Saturday and, you know, go to the park. People would be walking their dogs. It would be like me and the elderly. <laughs> and we would all like, <laughs> enjoying our time, like our quiet time together. So I just haven't done, like nightlife is not something that I'm drawn to. Uh, so I, I ended up doing a lot of things by myself, you know, going to museums, you know, walking around the city. Uh, and I would, you know, invite friends whenever I could, but I was just very, you know, very much by myself, which I like for the most part, but I think it crept into like a very deep, like loneliness, mm-hmm. you know, where I've never felt as lonely in any city as I have in New York. So, I, you know, when the idea, when I watched Hannah Gadsby's Nanette special, and, and she said that line about, you know, where did the quiet gaze go? I think that just was like a, it just nailed sort of what I was feeling and the question that I was asking, but I didn't know what that question was yet. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as, you know, a psychotherapist, you probably know the power of questions like that that just instantly got me thinking, okay, where are, where are the quiet gays? How do I find them? And I ended up just being like, I'm, it's time for me to, I, I feel like I have this vision of a space I want to create. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What I love, I want to hear about that vision and draw you out a little bit on it, but I, I, I guess I'm curious too about what about being I liked what you said about connection and New York. I'm curious what, like what drew you to New York? Because in a way living in New York, one aspect of it is that you kind of in some ways are always, you always have the potential to connect with other people, even Mm -hmm. in like, I'm thinking about, you know, a subway commute or whatever. Sometimes it's incredibly stressful and very stimulating, but also it can be a kind of quiet moment. I'm thinking about like, the dead of winter when everyone's like really pissed off and you know they're in their coats and we're all just quiet together but not alone I don't know there's something kind of paradoxical about living in New York and so I'm curious like what drew you here and then you know maybe why you've stayed instead of like leaving and somewhere where that's less stimulating or something like that yeah for sure I mean one of the main reasons I moved here, I was in a relationship at the time and we had decided to move here and, you know, it was largely for sort of the career moves that he was making. And I, you know, I deeply believe, believed in what he was doing and his talent. And so like I, I had been in Chicago for six years I was ready for something new, but New York was never my like dream city. I never thought, oh, I need to live in New York someday. So yeah, we moved here and, and I transfer, was able to transfer with my job as well, which was nice. But yeah, I, I, I sort of wasn't prepared for the, I'd been to New York, you know, many times to visit, but it's so different when you live here. I, I was excited about the, the, chance to explore and like see the city and that sort of thing. Um, but I, yeah, I, so I did plan on moving. I, I, I almost moved probably like three times mm. uh, since I've lived here uh, to go to the Pacific Northwest. That was sort of my uh, plan. 
I was just like, oh, the Pacific Northwest, like I'll be with nature and trees. Um, and I, I just, I ended up, I was like maybe a few weeks from just, you know, moving. And then I changed my mind. I, I felt I didn't want to be running away from something. And I knew that that would be the case in a, in a big way. So I ended up staying and I was just kind of like, I'm going to just try to enjoy it or try to just like be here instead of like one leg in and one leg out. Mm -hmm. um, and then, and, and I think last, so last summer I went to an event um, that a woman named uh, Ruby Warrington put on and she wrote a book called Sober Curious. But I went to one of her events in Brooklyn. It was called Sobriety and Psychedelics. And it was this like panel that was talking about everything from microdosing to uh, sobriety to, you know, other drugs and psychedelics. But it was such a community of people there was like they did breath work and we did these like mantras and we did you know sort of these like woo woo type of activities that I love but I've always felt like it, it was harder to find those sort of people in New York because it's more I don't know it just feels like it's a more of an east coast sort of like intellectual rather than like mysterious mystical um, sort of orientation and so when I went to that, I was like, oh my gosh, like these are my people, you know, and they are here in New York. So that sort of gave me, uh, and, and yeah, that was last summer. And that really gave me a boost of, you know, there is something here for me. Um, and then a few months later, Queer It came to me. Mm -hmm. And I think that was not by mistake, you know, I think mm. that the idea was waiting for me mm. to some degree. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to hear about the the project, the and also about how how people have been responding to it. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of from what I've observed just from social media that there's really a, an interest kind of in a lot of different places. So, yeah. Yeah. Hear about it. I mean, it, it has far surpassed what I ever imagined. When, when the idea came to me, I remember thinking to myself, like, are there other queer introverts? Like, how many are there? And we're apparently everywhere. And people are just really sort of thirsty for that uh, sort of, uh, of that sort of environment, that, that sort of option and, and being seen. I think it's interesting because, you know, introversion and extroversion, they're not really very visible things that you can see and people don't often identify as that. You know, you're, we're kind of just pushed into whatever scenarios that are around us and you just have to adapt. And especially in New York, I feel like it's just, uh, you kind of have to just be able to adapt to whatever is around you. Um, so that makes it hard to find others, you know, when we're not like identifying as, as introverts and we're not sort of, I don't know, finding those em environments, uh, it's, it's sort of an aspect of personality that I think, I don't know, as queer people, we, 
it's a part of us that I don't know we just haven't talked about before <laughs> openly yeah right yeah I think that's why I like part of why I really love like queer poets and reading queer poetry yeah. because I think it's it for Mary me Oliver Right, Mary Alger. Um, it's like such a connection, not that I assume all poets are introverts, but you know that yeah. that it's a, a kind of a, a lens or a language for expressing a kind of reflectiveness or dedication to um, quiet reflection. And I that really resonates for me. But I, I guess what's so interesting about what you're saying, just as I'm thinking about it, is that because it's not visible, it does take a level of not just self-awareness, but actually for me at least discovering, like really it's pretty obvious that I'm an introvert, but based on my like activities or what I prioritize in my life. But I think that you're right when you're in a certain environment like New York and or wherever, where you have to kind of adapt to the situation or at work or, you know, whatever the case may be, you don't, it really is kind of like an embodied practice to sort of figure out it's yeah how much of an introvert am I how much can my like my sense of self sort of take in terms of stimulus you know I mean I I hear a lot of that in kind of the languaging that you're using in in this project um yeah like what is my threshold yeah yeah and it's okay if yours isn't very high you know um I I think the the coolest thing that I've seen at, at some of our events is just especially in the winter months, by the end of the two hours, like we had the whole windows fogged up of the coffee shop from talking so much. Mm. And it was so cool to see that, you know, we as introverts, we create, we crave connection as much as anyone else, but we're often battling the environment that we're in. And, and so much of our energy is being devoted to that, that we're not able to invest in much as in the connection part of like talking. And so like when there's an environment that the, the music is low, like the lights are soft, you know, mm-hmm. there's, we're able to devote our energy to that connection that we really love. So it was just funny. It was like people think so often of introverts as being shy or like not wanting to talk to people. And, uh, but I found this such the opposite to be true when you give them the environment that they will actually thrive in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What have you found that, you know, as you've kind of maybe come to embrace this part of yourself more, um, as like someone who lives in New York and, you know, has these introvert, introverted tendencies, what are the things that you do and prioritize on a daily basis that, kind of maybe you wouldn't have done a while ago if you hadn't been more like giving yourself permission to kind of be to have the threshold that you have you know Um, yeah yeah I think it's it's helped me so much with like setting boundaries of like how I want to spend my time mm. and, and who I want to spend my time with you know I just I think it's given me such a confidence of like no I don't want to do that and I don't feel guilty saying no (laughs) because I know I have a limited amount of energy and, you know, like to give of myself and how, how I want to spend that is with, you know, the people that I love and resonate with and with, you know, the, 
the situations and environments that I really believe in and like, you know, want to show up to, to support. I feel like it's real. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing I, I I've really stepped into is, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying yes to things that I just really don't want to go to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in whatever city you live in, I, I feel like that is such a good life skill to have. And it's not like I'm using, oh, my introversion as an excuse. I'm using it as a, a way to help me set a boundary that, you know, is hard for me to set for myself. Mm. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm not antisocial, you know, like I don't want to like, mm-hmm. I mean, if I could be a hermit on some days, I would, you know, I would definitely choose that. But I, I love being around people and, and finding that connection, having that sort of deeper conversation about life and yeah, the mysterious things of life, the spiritual things of life, uh, you know, get me into those conversations and I'll, I'll be there the whole day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel that the way you've started to have these maybe boundaries and using the introversion and, or the acceptance of introversion as sort of like a guide Do you feel at all like a lot of people, this is a really broad statement, but a lot of queer people are looking for like sex and community and attraction and have maybe been like, you know, this is the really like conventional story, but you know, they've been deprived of it in their childhood Mm -hmm. and they're sort of like making up for it in their adulthood because like they live, you know, they've chosen to live near other queer people. And I guess I'm just curious, like how you feel about, and I know you're saying, you're not saying that you, you're actually saying, I do like community. I do like other people, but I'm just curious because so many of the opportunities to be social, to, you know, kind of meet people are very much around, like you said, nightlife or, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, bars, whatever, you know, how have you, yeah. How have you navigated that? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think so many of those sort of like spaces and rituals are so unconscious and, and that's, you know, it's just, it's just what we do. This is what, you know, this is how you socialize. This is how you meet other queer people. And I think, you know, this applies to straight people as well, you know, whether it's uh, sort of like bar culture or just how we socialize. There's, so little consciousness and like intention behind it. It's just like, oh, let's go grab drinks. Cause, but why are we doing that? Why aren't we like getting ice cream or like, why aren't we, you know, it's like, this is just the way it is. And I feel like as queer people, we're, we're the ones that are, should be, are always questioning things, you know, mm. and the status quo and how we show up in the world. And I feel like that is sort of embodies what queerness means of like, can't we get all the cat ladies together and like we like hang out or, you know, all the quiet people who love reading, um, you know, like let's get together and do something. Um, like, can we imagine bigger or wider of what it means to socialize and what it mm-hmm. means to connect with each other? And that to me is exciting because as queer people, we're, we 
like let's keep creating the sort of spaces that we want and being the sort of people that we want to be and you know so like that feels more like an act of creation where I feel like a lot of the traditional sort of socialization things are more like consuming in some ways of just like it's 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 unconscious I don't know if that makes sense well consuming and also about consumption in some ways too you know like you're saying not that you're you know anti-consumption but just that there's so there's so much about like this unconscious yeah I like the way you said that it's like a rote behavior you know if you want to meet someone like you're single now go do this you know and your friends are encouraging you to like go to this bar or do this thing and what do you do on a first date or, you know, all of that stuff is, it is kind of prescribed in in some ways or, you know, there's a lot of pressure around that. And yeah, it sounds like you've really, you've found a, a way within yourself to pretty relentlessly like accept these aspects of who you are. And that is guiding you to kind of create these spaces. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why, that's how I've navigated is like, well, I don't see something, so I'm going to create it. And, you know, that feels to me sometimes easier than trying to find something, you know, it's like, I don't know, in a way it's like, I want to create this and then see, uh, I I just didn't know if anyone would resonate with it. I think that was the Mm. big question. Um, but the fact they are, I mean, someone messaged me, uh, yesterday and, um, I won't, I won't say his name, but, uh, I'll just read like a short message of what he said. He said, I've looked at your feed for less than 30 seconds, but I already feel so understood and less alone. And to see that you had an event less than an hour away from me is so encouraging. You were doing incredible work. I could cry just thinking about it. Today was a low day, but this has helped me. Uh, Thank you for what you're doing. Mm. And this is, you know, a queer, and a fellow queer person, a fellow queer introvert who, and that's what I've heard from so many people is that like, I just haven't had a space to go and, or to like, Mm step forward into this aspect of myself yeah it seems like we're also when you're talking about introverts that are or people but predominantly introverts that are kind of drawn to these events and and your feed and what you're doing we're also talking kind of about empaths you know and like you're sensitive and people who are in various ways I wonder like what you're finding out about that too because I think that gets to like this queer embodiment piece too around like if you are a sensitive like a sensorily sensitive or emotionally Mm -hmm. sensitive or empathic person um certain environments are really challenging or certain relationship expectations or expectations around intimacy are are challenging and complicated so yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, there's, there's something with just being with each other that I think is just, is healing for queer people. And, you know, we can be with each other in in a lot of different ways. Um, But I think for this group of queer folks who are more introverted, just the act of sitting with each other and being able to talk 
is just without any expectation of, you know, uh, is this a date or am I trying to meet someone? You know, it's just like, we're just coming together to not do a whole lot. And that is exactly what we need. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and that, in there have been, I feel like, queer folks who have come to our events that have not felt comfortable in like bars and things like that, you know, for whatever reason, you know, whether, you know, they're women or they're um, person of color or trans, you know, like, and, and that to me has been like amazing as well of like, I, like I want all of us who kind of feel like we don't have a place to be able to come, you know, and, and, and we're all coming around this like one sort of aspect of ourselves that if we looked at each other, we wouldn't have known, but (laughs) we're all showing up. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I love it. And clearly it's, I mean, I would love to hear how, what your understanding is of like the reach that this has had. I mean, you've been like in multiple publications, interviews, you know, I mean, kind of in a lot of different places. Is that right? I mean, yeah, we've had um, events in seven different cities so far. You know, I think there's this sort of the three elements of queer, quiet, and sober is sort of like the the three things that all of our events revolve around. And, you know, the sober aspect of it is just, you know, we don't have alcohol at our events. And, and that's a newish thing for me as well. I mean, I used to be a wine buyer, so I... <laughs> <laughs> there was a time when, you know, I was drinking quite often, mm-hmm. but through, you know, a series of events last summer as well, I was just kind of rethinking, just thinking about my own mental health and just the sadness that I feel a lot. And, you know, why am I putting something into my body that is making my life harder uh, than it already is, you know, as a queer person, as an introvert in New York City. And I think that's been the other aspect of it that people have been really drawn to of just, um, especially like younger queer folks who have reached out to me and just saying like, thank you, like, A, I can't drink now, and B, I don't really see myself wanting to, um, but there are so few places to go Uh, where that's not present Mm -hmm. and so I'm not you know I I'm not saying that we like in institute prohibition but I think that we should be challenging and I I've read a few essays of just like challenging intoxication culture challenging having a queer critique of the substance that is pervasive in our communities you know are we questioning it? It, it? You know, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier of, are we being conscious about the sort of lives we're creating mm. for ourselves and with each other? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't have like a roadmap for that, but I think it's just being present and, and yeah, questioning, like, is this serving me? Is this serving us? Mm-hmm. Um, and are we talking about addiction? Are we talking about mental health? Uh, we need to be. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and because otherwise we're just continuing to cover it up with 
you know, substances and, you know, it could be anything, um, not just alcohol, but, uh, that's, yeah, I think that's what's sort of made it more compelling and, uh, people find it kind of strange. <laughs> uh, some queer people are just like, there's no alcohol. Like what, you know, what yeah. is that about? What do we do um, then? Yeah. Right. Which is a statement in and of itself of our culture at large, you know, of our society that we live in is just, it's just an unconscious act of let's drink. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'm just, I'm thinking about the way that substances also help, can help sort of mitigate the discomfort or the, yeah, the discomfort of, of navigating intimacy as a queer person when it feels mm -hmm. uncomfortable. I mean, I think that that's, that's so much, and like I see that a lot in my practice, my private practice is with people is just, is really like people who are still navigating like trauma, sexual trauma or, dys or dysphoria, um, and there's something about like needing a reliance on substances to to sort of help mitigate social interactions or interactions around like desire, sexual, you know, like sexual mm -hmm. attraction and things like that. That you know makes what you're proposing it does make it challenging. I think you know, mm -hmm. I mean, legitimately challenging. It's not like a a kind of a unicorn happy fairyland place it's you know you're sort of proposing i guess the way i'm understanding it is sort of you're proposing like it's very confronting in some ways um mm -hmm. the idea and 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 kind of pleasurable too but like confronting in the sense of being committed to a, a level of sort of presence and introspection um with one another and that can be hard yeah it is i mean uh, and especially like if you're thinking about like the in, like us introverts, I mean, I know I used alcohol in social settings where I felt anxious or overwhelmed, you know, and that was that was my the way that I sort of got through it. Um, and last November and December was when I was like, I'm gonna just not drink for these two months and see what happens. Uh, if I cannot drink in November and December, then like I think I can do it any time of the year. Um, so I remember going to a few like holiday parties, uh, and I had you know my club soda and you know whatever mixer I had with me. And I remember the first you know fifteen twenty minutes, and I was just like, oh, I just felt the tightness in my chest and the you know the anxiety. Um, but then it eventually went away. And I was connecting with people and I was having the conversations that really energize me and make me feel that sense of belonging. And um, so it was just so interesting to, to see what was on the other side of what I feared before. Mm. I didn't want to go through that tunnel of discomfort. Yeah. And then I found out I could. And I was like, wow. Like, I am more resilient than I think I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. So I have, I, I, we're coming towards the end of our time, and I want to ask you one last question, then I want to hear how people can kind of find out about you. So the last question I'd like to ask is just kind of going back to thinking about this younger version of you, maybe the one that's like 
riding your bike or in church or, you know, what, what do you think you would like to, or would have liked to have heard or had someone say to that younger version of you? Mm -hmm. Knowing Uh, what you know now. I think it would be just like, you can relax, you can rest. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Just like rest. Let yourself relax. I think that, and I still, <laughs> it's still hard today. I mean, today was a horrible day. And, you know, there were moments where I was just like, I feel like I can just go off the deep end. Um, and then I had like windows of, it's, it's okay. Like relax and like let the feelings that you're feeling just like move through me instead of like having them s- stuck. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that just like that ability to rest. Yeah. Yeah. Takes a lot of trust, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I really want people to be able to kind of find out about what you're doing. Cause it's very interesting and new-ish. Um, and so how can people find you? Yeah, they can go to queerintroverts.com. Or uh, find us on Instagram at Queer Introverts. Um, and we, yeah, we update uh, kind of what what's going on, the events that are coming up. And we also have a weekly newsletter uh, every that comes out every Friday morning. It's called Queer and Quiet. And we have just sort of a, a reflection piece in there and then some interesting sort of articles from the week mm-hmm. that center around queerness, sobriety, and introversion. Mm-hmm. Cool. Really appreciate you taking the time. It was super nice to talk to you. Yes, thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs>